Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcasts of Saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number six in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Mawson, lecturer in systematic theology at United Theological College, Parramatta. I'm Jeff Dollington, one of the Saltbush community ministers. So, welcome everybody to Saltbush and Salty Conversations and Conversations in Christian Community, all those interesting little tags that we have today. It's uh, great to have uh, Dr. Michael Morrison with us today. Um, Michael's the lecturer in Systematic Theology at uh, Uniting Theological College in Sydney, and it's uh, great to have you here, Michael. And um, we look forward to having a chat about Christian Community and and uh, what you can contribute to that to us. But first, let us um, acknowledge that we meet on Aboriginal land, land that's been cared for for generations upon generations. And we join with them in caring for the land and acknowledging their contribution to our life together. So today, um, Michael, as I said, has joined us. And Mike, do you want to um, kick off with telling us a little bit about where you come from and uh, what's brought you to uh, to Sydney, to the United Theological College? Sure. Um, perhaps just to start by saying it's wonderful to have a chance to be part of this conversation. And thank you, Jeff, for the invitation. Can everyone hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, um, I can I can move things around a bit. So if at any point um, I'm not loud enough, just um, send me an indication. Um, so so perhaps I'll just lay out a little of my wider narrative. So um, I'm Pakia from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I was born in the South Island, but mostly grew up in the lower part of the North Island, um, living in small. Uh, farming communities. So my father was a shear milker um, up until I was around 10 or 11 and then my parents um, had managed to save enough to buy a small piece um, uh, which was in Danny Burke, just, just in uh, Summer Hawks Bay, so you know that area. Uh, I have five siblings, so I'm from a large family and all of my siblings and their families are still uh, based in New Zealand. Um, when I finished high school, I moved down to Wellington, uh, where I lived for just over a decade. I, I doing studies, and also I became involved in an intentional Christian community, mostly working with at-risk youth, so uh, running some uh, foster homes and doing uh, various kinds of youth work. Um, I'm trying to... Uh, uh, 2006, I got married. I'm just, um, I'm looking at Ruth, who's here with us as well, who um, I'm married to, so she'll quickly step in if I get any of these dates wrong. Uh, so 2006, we got married, and then I moved to the US, uh, to a town just outside of Chicago, uh, where we lived for about six years while I was doing doctoral studies. And then in 2012, we moved to... Scotland, uh, where I've been teaching theology at the University of 
Aberdeen. And then just last year, we came back to this end of the world. So um, um, came here to Sydney and uh, to the United Theological College. So I, I think we're here for uh, exactly one year and a week. So um, in some ways, I still feel like I'm sitting down and just just um, like getting my geography right. Yes, I was just thinking of that. was a long answer, but that's my sort of broad narrative, and then I'm happy to sort of say say more on it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Yeah, I was just thinking the other day it must be very close to being twelve months since you since you arrived. Yeah. Um, Mike, perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about the intentional community and um, what was that was a little like? Things we're talking about Christian community. It's a it's another expression, I guess, of um, how we might think about. That. Yeah. So this. Um, it's a community called Urban Vision. It's based mostly in Wellington, but some other parts of New Zealand as well. It's now become attached to the Anglican Church, although it was a little more separate when we were involved. Um, mostly, mostly people in their twenties and thirties, um, just trying to um, find ways to be intentionally involved in. Um, different kinds of community development work, whether youth work or living in the inner city or some other sorts of things. Um, so it feels like a long time ago now, but it was certainly a, a sort of formative stage for me um, while I was in my 20s and, and you know, had a bit more um, time on my hands than I do these days. Um, um, yeah, I can, yeah, is that helpful, Jeff? Or? Yeah, that, that's good. What else did, like, was there some rhythm to the, the community's life did did you know you said you're about the community development sort of work but as together yeah. as the community were there things that you used to do together yeah so there were um so within the sort of wider so it was really a sort of network of homes and within the wider network uh, different homes would meet together on a you know regular cycle for prayer uh, so for praying for some of the different people and groups who we were working with. Um, those of us who were sort of running foster homes and working with at-risk youth would often uh, be running activities on the weekends or doing doing different things in these groups as well. Um, and I guess I guess just trying to trying to sort of think through what it meant to be Christian in our city and to be a sort of positive um, influence and um, you know contributing to um, you know, contributing responses to some of the difficulties that were going on at the time. Um, yeah, and, you know, reading, in some ways, that's how I first became interested in theology, really just a way of, you know, how do you how do you sustain these kinds of involvements or find language and ways of thinking that can sort of help to press into the messiness and complexity of things. Um, um, yeah. So what, what sort of influences, you know, growing up in a rural sort of space had on that um, sense of, you know, thinking more about theologically and, um, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian in this particular time and space? Yeah, so um, I think that's, yeah, that's, a, that's a great question. Like, it does feel like some time ago now. Like, I think, you know, our, our child, childhoods, make us who we are, um, you know, perhaps in ways that we can't ever fully grasp or unpack. So I think 
you know, being in a family of six has probably just, um, you know, helped, helped make me aware of negotiating difference and conflict and, you know, ways that I've carried forth. Um, I think, like, just, like, like in many ways, growing up in the country is an idyllic childhood, so just, just the chance to explore, to be in nature, um, yeah, you know, I think, um, I remember just, just there being lots of books around, so developing a love of reading, which has mm. certainly sustained me throughout my life. Um, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And now, of course, as you say, you've, um, you know, you've become a theological educator. It's uh, quite a, quite a journey from, um, you know, growing up in New Zealand and time in Wellington and been around the world, basically, in all sorts of different places. So what, what is it about uh, theological education that, um, that's important to you and your work there? Yeah, just, just in terms of my sort of odd trajectory and life story, um, you know, as, as for all of us, it's just one, one small decision and sort of suddenly you find yourself in a very different context or different situation. So I never sort of set out to become a theologian or to teach theology. It was more, you know, I had these involvements. I found the study was sort of helping me. I was enjoying the study and then it just just went from there. Um, in terms of why I think theology is important and my commitments as an educator, like I guess, I guess my working assumption is that most of us have messy, complex lives. Um, you know, we may have points of stability or points where we're flourishing and things are going well, but more often than not, um, um, it's difficult and there's challenges. Um, most of us live with a lot of fear and anxiety about the future, and as we get older, um, we live with a lot of disappointment or a sense in which things haven't quite worked out in the ways that we hope. And my commitment to theology is, is it gives us language and patterns of thinking that help us to live in and attend to um, the complexities of our lives and the lives of those around us. Um, you know, who are we and how does scripture help us to understand um, who we are in the world that we're in? Um, how do different voices from the tradition um, help us to wrestle through some of our own questions or some of the things that confront us. Um, a lot, so that's you know that's the sort of broad um, yeah. framework I work within. In terms of how I teach, like a lot of what I do practically is just trying to sit with um, students or others and just work through texts from the tradition or voices from the global church. You know, who is this person? What are they saying? Um, how might that be useful for us? Or how might we sort of learn something about ourselves by by um, listening in on these these other conversations and voices? Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm trying to work all this through for myself and um, it's helpful to sort of do that with, with students and others as well. Yeah. So, Mike, are there particular people who've influenced your thinking theologically that you'd like to sort of... Yeah, so, um, like, like I mentioned, like I just, I, I love reading and um, most of the 
books I read, I'm usually convinced by for at least an hour or two after I've read them. Um, so there's just a lot of different voices and pieces that um, I, you know, I, I feel have contributed to me. I spent a lot of time on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so just, just wrestling with some of his ideas and writing about them. Um, I've been spending a lot of time with Julian of Norwich lately, so again, just trying to track through um, um, her reflections being, you know, her visions of God um, in the wake of the plague in the um, 14th century and some of what was going on there. Um, um, yeah, so, so, you know, those are two of the voices that I've just been, been spending time on, um, um, as well as some more contemporary figures and voices as well. Yeah. I'm happy, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I could talk forever about the um, oh, yes. books and theologians, so I'll, I'll stop with two and then we can... <laughs> that's okay. That, that's good. And we might we might get on to um, talking a bit about uh, one half of particular, I think, in, as we go a bit further into the conversation too. So in, in a sense of framing um, theologically, you know, this conversation about Christian community, how, how do we start to think about that? And can, can you start to open that up for us a bit? So, so one of one of the one of the things I like about Bonhoeffer um, is he, he he's he's resistant to holding forth an ideal of community and then trying to realise it. So a lot of what I think he's pressing us to in his theology is beginning where we are. So you know who who is around us. Um, how is God present and at work in this place? Um, how do we attend to that presence or um, the people who God puts on our path? So rather than sort of looking for an inspiring model or a sort of perfect way of doing things, he's much more just, um, you know, what what's the situation we're in? What does community look like um, um, you know, for where we are and for the um, challenges and constraints that we've got? Um, so, in so, so that that's something I find helpful, especially as um, you know, we're uh, you know Ruth and I have got a little older, and so much of our time feels like it's just trying to survive young children, and um, you know, just just make connections with those who who we can. Um, um, and, and you know, trying to see that as a way in which God was present and at work, rather than sort of going for the, for the you know possible things we were chasing after when we were a bit younger. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, I'm, it makes sense to me. We'll see how when people get a chance. We're not having any chat yet, so if you've got a question or you want to, if you want Michael to um, expand a bit more, write something in the chat and we we can um, go a bit deeper then. In, in any particular space there, that would be helpful. So other, other theological sorts of themes that we might think about, um, other theologians who've talked about Christian community um, that might be helpful for us as we start to talk about Christian community? Um, you mean in terms of some specifics? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I... Uh, so I'd mentioned Bonhoeffer, so his book, Life Together, I think is just always worth um, um, working through. 
and it's a it's it's written as a book that's straightforward and accessible. Um, um, there's a, a short book I read last year called Radical Discipleship, which is by an American theologian, Jenny McBride, um, uh, which I think is very good. So she's um, wrestling through um, her involvement in prison ministry and um, some of the ways that she's sort of trying to build community in that context. Um, yeah, I think I, um, I also just, so one of the, one of the wonderful resources in this synod is the Camden Theological Library. And there's just just so many rich books there. And I think I think Moira will sort of send them out to locations as well, um, both both around community and just just um, um, you know theology and discipleship more broadly. Um, so one of it's been a bit hard with with the library being closed, but um, you know when I've got the time, I, you know just just trawling through those shelves and seeing what's there is always a always a rich experience. Yes, and if I can put in a plug for the the library as well, there, there's actually available quite a lot of e-books and things too that people can read online if you're not uh, not in um, close proximity to be able to go and visit or posting too. So that's a great way of actually accessing some of the wonderful material that's there um, mm -hmm. looking for things. So Bonhoeffer's not been with us for a very long time, Michael, and um, he... You know, it was influenced very strongly by what happened in, in the 30s and um, the rise of fascism in, in Germany. What, what has he got to say to us today? Like, uh, why should we be listening to him now? Yeah. Um, so, so I think, so part of why I think Bonhoeffer is interesting is he's trying to, he's trying to do theology in a situation of crisis. Hmm. So um, his own particular crisis is, Germany under National Socialism in the 1930s. But what that causes him to do is to sort of press back to the basics. So um, what does it mean to follow Jesus, who is Christ for us today, when the church may not necessarily give us um, the support and resources we need, or you know, in his context, a large part of the church is just um, joined with the sort of National Socialist vision. Um, you know, what what does it mean to follow Jesus when we genuinely don't know what the right way forward is? So he, a lot of his work is sort of pressing us back into how we read scripture and take its claims seriously. Um, you know, for him, that means the Reformation and Luther is one particular way um, of um, attending to Paul in the Gospels. And I, I take it that's, you know, where our situation is different, um, but we're in a situation of crisis as well, whether that's um, um, climate change and the effects that that's having, whether that's our declining churches and the difficulties with sustaining, um, um, you know, sustaining those going forward. And, and, you know, this is why I think Bonhoeffer may be one useful voice uh, for us, um, you know, again, what are the what are the basics or essentials of our faith? Um, how do we find a way forward when the path isn't obvious and we don't always know what we're doing? Um, 
So, so are, there, are there some are there things that you're seeing, Mike, in the moment about what's happening? You know, this comment about the Black Lives Matter, and yes, we'll get to talking about post-colonial theology in a moment as well. But um, you know, the world does seem to be in you know jumping from one crisis to another, and so are, are there things that you're seeing for the church as it starts to wrestle with? It's, its identity and Christian faith in this particular space. What are, what are the things that you're seeing that we might be attending to? Um, that's a great question. So, so I, you know, I don't, I don't have any particular expertise or answers that are going to solve any of these um, um, questions. Or, you know, um, like I think. You know the the Uniting Church. So, so this is you know coming in as an outsider. Um, the Uniting Church is extraordinary in terms of its theology, its history. Um, you know, it certainly had missteps, but there's also been a genuine attempt to grapple with um, um, you know it, it, its colonial past and um, um, some of the. Um, different realities that we find ourselves in today. So, you know, there's a lot There's a lot there in terms of the church. Um, there's rich work, both in theology and more broadly, that's being done to sort of help us to um, think through, um, you know, whether it's race or, or whatever other... Um, yeah, sorry, yeah, sorry, there's a little unclear. Um, um, come, come back to me, Jeff. Just um, ask me the question again. So uh, I was just wondering whether there are things that you think the church could be paying some more attention to um, in, in this time. You know, given given Bonhoeffer's thinking about going back to basics and you know yeah. being a bit clearer about what's really important here. In, and okay, this isn't this isn't the 1930s, um, but the, but still there there's crisis things that are going on for us. So what could the church be paying a bit more attention to than it perhaps is at the moment? Yeah, that's excellent. Thanks. So I, you know, I, I would say as a as a um, as a parallel move. So we we too need to sort of press it back into basics. We need to be, you know, confident um, in who Christ is and Christ's call on our lives, and that frees us to be less anxious about some other things to be more available um, um, you know to those around us and to be willing to take risks and aligning ourselves with um, um, you know other causes and movements so you know just 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 by by pressing into the basics we free ourselves up um, in, in ways that I think help us to to be the people that we're called to be yeah um, is that, so I'm not, yeah, I'm not sort of talking too many specifics here, but I really, you know, I really do think that's. Um, yeah, thank you. People, people might pick up more on that if they, they like to take that a bit further too. Yeah. So I know that one of the other areas that you're really interested in, and um, I, I've had uh, many years um, a, a keen interest in the large community and um, how you know, as people of disability and how um, how Christian community has formed for them. Uh, and I wonder, I know that this is an area that you're really interested in as well. And so 
what is it about disability theology that that can help us to start to think about Christian community as well? Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so I've done bits of writing around disability theology, and I'm working on a longer project on the moment, at the moment, which is on um, a theology of aging. So, how we as Christians think about aging and decline, and in particular, how we how we attend to the complexity and messiness of um, some of those final years. Um, and it, you know, again, I think I think we need ways of not stepping away from that or not living in denial of how hard it is. Um, and I think um, scripture and the tradition can offer us ways of thinking about hope and suffering that aren't simply um, denying what's going on. Um, Coming your question slightly sideways, uh, Jeff, but but I think you know similarly with disability experiences of disability and disability studies, it's it's how do we sort of press into the complexities of um, bodily difficulty or cognitive difficulty, um, celebrate God's presence there, but in a way that doesn't sort of begin to romanticise um, those situations or. Um, um, you know, simply gloss over um, um, how hard it sometimes is. Um, in terms of community, like I think that's you know that's where that's where we find community. It's in the it's in the cracks or the difficult experiences or the places of vulnerability. Um, you know, again, rather than the sort of ideals or um, or some kind of vision that somehow separates ourselves from those. Um, yeah, and I guess. Um you know how we how we as the church as as community then engage with uh disability and, and aging also says a lot to us i think too about how we recognize the other and so the the big questions around um you know for for the southern part of the world around colonization and occupation and all that sort of stuff that's happened you know, if we wrestle with the otherness of disability and ageing, or we can't wrestle with that, then we can't deal with those other other big issues either, can we? Yeah, I think I think that's right. So I think I, I think again, you know, how does you know? Um, um, I've only got one or two things that I'm about, so you know, we'll start to sound a bit repetitive after a while. But again, you know, how do we press into the basics in ways that just make us available and available to others and help us to to really tell the truth and recognize um, um, you know some of the difficult histories that we're a part of. Um, um, you know, both so so that's present in my work in one way in relation to disability and ageing, but also some of my developing interests around um, you know, what does theology and faith look like once we begin to acknowledge um, colonialism and its impact in the ways in which um, um, you know, the church has often been complicit in some of that. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you're pressing towards, Jim? Yeah, I, I just you know, I guess we're moving into the to the conversation around um, post-colonial sort of th 
theology. But uh, but I, I guess I just from how you were talking about it, it just strikes me that um, our, the church's inability to deal with disability and ageing in that sense um, also then denies us the capacity to deal with the otherness of being in an invaded space. Yeah. Oh living in this space that we don't really tell the truth about or don't come to terms with. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, this, so, and it's not just the church. So we're part of a wider culture that privileges, you know, young, autonomous, um, self-determining bodies as the ideal. And that has all sorts of damaging effects on bodies that don't conform to that. Um, you know, whether it's disabled bodies, ageing bodies, or, um, um, you know, bodies that, for whatever reason, don't fit with, um, with that pattern. And I think, I, I think you're right to sort of connect that with the question of how we think about otherness and, and difference, because, again, it, it's, it's part of that same, um, um, you know, false way of thinking or, or the problems part, partly emerge from that. Um, yeah. So just... Uh, let's expand the conversation around post-colonial theology a bit more too. Like you've you've been in New Zealand, where the, the experience of colonisation is certainly different than any it is here in Australia. Um, but you've been in the States and been in Scotland and other parts of the world. So tell us a bit about post-colonial theology in in your experience. Yeah, um, perhaps I'll start with an example. So. Um, so a few years ago, Ruth and I were in a park in Aberdeen. Uh, so this is in the city in Scotland where we were living. And there was a, a sign in the middle of the park that was celebrating all of the different places called Aberdeen in the world and the way in which the locals had sort of gone out and just um, you know, set up these new towns. Uh, I know there's one in Australia and there's, there's others sort of scattered all over the place. And there was just no awareness that that might in any way be problematic, or that there were other towns and peoples who'd lived there prior to Aberdonians turning up on the scene. And in part, why we were keen to move back down the centre of the world is just, a, I think, a general awareness um, of, of some of those complexities and some of the guilt that those of us who are white um, um, you know, still bear or still carry in some ways. Um, so, 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 you know, I, my sense was coming back down here, there would just be pressures on my work and, um, you know, the ways I think and write simply by being in this space and especially somewhere like the United Theological College where, um, you know, we have a lot of uh, diverse students and, um, you know, these, these conversations are front and centre. Um, sorry, Jeff. I, I sort of, um, I think, I've, again, I've sort of stepped sideways and not quite come back to your question. But, um, but you know, you know, I don't. Again, I don't have any answers. Um, um, but it, it's it's simply sort of a, a recognition that this this slow and complex work of understanding and unraveling, um, um, you know, colonialism and its legacy, um, you know, needs to needs to get going and um, in whatever way I can, it's, it's something I'm keen to be part of. So can, can you talk to us a little bit then about perhaps the differences that you've experienced in, you know, in, in a New Zealand context and 
um, what it's like in in the UK and and now coming here to Australia. Uh, I I've, I was in the UK a few years ago now, and it was very interesting talking about the Australian context and people in England more than Scotland, but in you know there there really isn't a sense the same sense that we have of wrestling with well we're here in this in this space in a, in a very strange way no that's right um i i think so it's been it's been sort of 15 years since i really lived in new zealand for a long period of time um but even even going back to the last year for several months um it was striking how how many Christians were committed to learning Te Reo Māori in a serious way, and perhaps especially evangelical Christians, and just sort of how present and central um, um, bicultural awareness was. Um, I think you get other forms of that in the UK, um, but probably under the sort of rubric of, of multiculturalism, um, um, you know, rather, rather than the sort of specific histories. Um, Australia, I'm still figuring out, you know, I, um, it, it hasn't helped that, um, um, you know, we've been stuck at home a lot for the last few months. Um, and I, th- I also sort of suspect the United Church and UTC is, is a bubble in terms of the wider Sydney um, context and culture or, or the wider New South Wales context and culture. So I can't, um, you know, I think there's a lot of good people trying to sort of wrestle through what we do with all of this, and perhaps especially in the last few weeks. Um, um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't have any particular insight or expertise on that. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. The you know the whole pulling down the statues things, um, you know, grabbing a lot of attention, isn't it? Like, like it's not. It's not a church conversation in that sense. It's actually spilled out into the community and almost as in a response to what's happened around the Black Lives Matter um, situation, you know, it's moved into this, well, what are we going to do about our history and who yes. are we going to celebrate? Um, and I wonder, I, wonder if there's some, I wonder if there's a theological sort of conversation to be had here about... Um, what we attend to in that conversation. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. So I think, um, I think, I think we need to, to think seriously about the ways in which, um, you know, to, to understand and think seriously about the ways in which our missionary forebears and the church was often going in with the best of intentions, but part of systems and logics that ultimately prove destructive. Um, so that, you know, that means that we need to um, just just think through a lot of our ecclesial uh, theological assumptions and uh, scrutinise those um, um, much more carefully, even, even while being sort of confident that um, um, you know, we our faith means we don't need to be anxious about these conversations or this process or some of the difficult and painful sides of that. Um, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not an easy conversation, is it? Because we're, we're you know, the the church's history is very intertwined in in Australia in a colonial sense uh, yeah. about what's happened in the last two hundred and twenty years or so, um, and we're really just emerging out of that space. Um, and but alongside of that, of course, um, the church has has been complicit in some ways of suppressing other cultures, um, and it's certain we don't have the same sort of integrated sense of uh, that's in New Zealand around Maori and Pakeha. Um, we don't we don't have that here to the same extent. That that denial of of the existence for so long of of Aboriginal culture doesn't en enable us to have that same conversation somehow. Yeah, it, it may be partly true, but um, I, I was reading a book by William Emerson on Charles Harris. Yep. And so um, Charles Harris being, uh, you know, many of you will know more about him than I do, but but being a sort of central figure in uh, founding the Congress within the Uniting Church. Um, so, so, you know, as with anything, there's, there's good and there's bad, there's... Um, um, you know, problems within the history of the church and then also sort of um, some amazing moments that we can sort of um, look to and and draw from. Um, um, yeah, yeah. So, so Mike, um, in this time of COVID, there have been things you've been thinking about or reading about that um, might be worth having a bit of a conversation about? I, I feel like I've mostly been... Um, uh, reading and thinking about uh, uh, homeschooling for our eight-year-old um, who's now back at school, thankfully. Um, I do so one one book that I've just um, uh, just found extraordinary for thinking through some of what's going on is um, this short book called "Laughing at the Devil" by Amy Laura Hall. So it's a book on Julian of Norwich. Um, she she wrote it. Uh, Laura Hall wrote it a couple of years ago, and it's a sort of mix of her talking about American politics, insights from Julian's writing in her own life, and some of the complexity of that. Um, but she really does draw out that sense in which, um, uh, you know, Julian is trying to sort of cling to God's goodness in the midst of um, um, the plague and its wake and the, the kinds of uh, political systems that are responding to that. Um, I'm making it sound um, uh, less interesting than it is. So it's just it's just a very sort of readable, enjoyable book where um, she moves through some of that territory. So there's a few other things, but that would be the one the one that I think um, just gives us so much that's that's helpful in 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 a sort of COVID and post COVID world. Yeah. So do you think there there are some clues in in her writing then about um, this time that we, we could be paying some attention to? Um. Yeah, so I think I think what she... Um, um, so, you know, perhaps similar to Bonhoeffer, I think she's really pressing us back into basics. So a vision of who God is that sustains us in the midst of suffering not in a way that somehow sort of takes us out of our situation, um, but in a way that um, insists on 
hope and insists on good, God's goodness and all things will be well, um, even, even when that's not the case around us. Um, so, you know, that would, that would be sort of one of the, one of the themes that um, um, runs through the book. Um, and there's also some, I think, just some astute analysis of, of um, um, the, the sort of political situation within America um, um, and, you know, perhaps by extension, their own situation as well. Yeah. I wonder whether people have comments and questions for Mike. Um, give you a moment to, to think about that one. But... Um, be really great to, to be able to expand a little bit more on on some of the themes that we've been we've been talking about while we have Mike with us. Mike, um, I, I wonder, I wonder what whether you have any reflection on on the Uniting Church's um, space in in the rural space of being so scattered and. Um, you know, Saltbush has been struggling with this sense of people scattered all all across the vastness of New South Wales, as as small as that is in comparison to some of the other states. But you know, how how do we start to think about Christian community when we are so scattered? And I suppose it, in some ways, it moves to the the COVID space where we've all been locked up. Um, but it's just it's just the reality of for so many of us who live. Um, hours drive from each other. Um, we don't see each other that often. Um, so how how do we start to think about Christian community when we're not physically present? Yeah. Um, so I, I I I'm a big believer in physical presence for relationships, and I know that. Um, online forums like this are important and we're dependent on them. Um, but I think, you know, Jeff, you and Mark and others um, travelling, making connections, you know, as and when it's possible, getting together with others and with others who are in similar situations or trying to sort of think through similar difficulties. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have particular answers. Like I, I remember from growing up just how hard it was within those small rural communities when, you know, young people are sort of constantly leaving for the big city, when ministers aren't especially attracted to, um, um, you know, positions in the middle of nowhere. Um, and I don't, you know, there's not a solution or an easy way through um, other than, um, you know, turning to God, um, relying on one another, as and when we can, um, you know, developing practices of prayer and preaching, um, um, but the, the sort of practicalities and the mechanics. Um, you know, this is a question I should be asking you. And I'm sure we've got a lot more to offer here. Yeah, I, I certainly think um, you know Mark and I and Tim have talked quite a lot about having that dual role of both physical uh, relationship and you know interaction as well as the online stuff and then that it's really important that the two of them go hand in hand um, that it works it only works when the two those two things are together absolutely yeah yeah it's been really interesting experience um with having saltbush at nine um which is the worship sort of space for saltbush uh, friends across across the space 
Um, where so many people um, are getting together, haven't known each other, and there's community starting to be formed in that space, as well as people who've been outside of the regular faith community who've come along now because because of that online space for people to enter, it seems a much easier space for some people to actually connect into them. Yeah, yeah. Denise has got a question. Can I jump in, Jeff? Yeah, please do. <laughs> in t thinking about the rural side of things, I think one of the things that I've noticed in this time of COVID is what the technology allows you both to have your connection in your own community, but it also has facilitated a meeting of minds, if you like, that you actually can talk to people outside of your community that ha may have a different, have a perspective that, you know, that you can talk about. But one of the challenges of being a smaller rural community is just that you may not have anyone there that thinks like you do. And so you find, you find it really challenging sometimes. You can read as much as you like. You can, you know, you can listen to things. But being able to talk to people is, I think, one of the things that, out of COVID, I think we've we've realised that distance doesn't matter, that you can have a conversation like this with a group of people who would never have got be together before. And even if we had been somewhere and we'd all we'd all recognise that, there wouldn't have been time to have a conversation. So, uh, you know, as these conversations have been happening on Sunday afternoons, I'm sure there's that sense of here's a group where we can talk about things. And I don't know, Michael, what, you know, where you see, how you see that developing that different sort of community that's not a geographically connected community. It's a, it's a conceptual connected community, if you like. No, that's right. And I think um, in terms of my work here at the college, we're, we're moving to teaching intensives. So... Um, um, you know, subjects or even just sort of short courses which people can come to for a couple of days. Um, I, started, I was involved in one with Jesse up in Port Macquarie earlier in the year. And I think, you know, that's that's a model that supports a decentered church or, you know, it's not just about Sydney and Parramatta, but it's, it's how do we sort of make um, theology and education available to everyone. I think there's also an onus on both our candidates and those of us who teach here to be going out more and um, you know, doing more in different uh, localities as well. Um, and we're also, I think all of our subjects are now going to be available on Zoom as well, which is you know, one of the great um, uh, results of COVID. So, so again, you know, it's a way of sort of making, it's not ideal, but it's, it's making some things accessible um, in ways that they're not at the moment. Um, and, you know, theological education is not everything, but um, um, it, it can be one way of, you know, sustaining and um, building us up. Who else would like to ask a question? George Buck. My, uh, let's, let's put Mike in the hot seat. I mean, um, uh, so Mike, you're talking about the significance of the, the physical relationship in terms of community and that's the tradition that we have come from down throughout the ages, of course, and yet 
here we find ourselves in this strange uh, world, which is, uh, even though we're, t we're an online world anyway, we don't want to get that confused necessarily with the fact that uh, in part, the only community we can have is online at sometimes over distance or because we're locked down or because it's the only way we can get this group of people like this group of people would never have been together before. And of course, one of the big discussions that Tim, Jeff and I have had is around celebrating the Eucharist online communion and which we have actively done. And you can say whatever you like, Mike. I mean, it's, it's good to explore it. You might have a completely different opinion, but it'd be great to hear what your thoughts are on that, that challenge to the church really at this time. So, so my earlier comments were in no way intended to disparage, um, you know, online forums and the rich uh, things that they give us. Um, but I do, like, I just, I, I, I just believe in sitting around the table, having a cup of tea and just, just what you get in that forum that you don't get by watching a YouTube clip or, um, um, you know, and some other kinds of discussions. So I think, you know, Jeff's right to say we need both. We need, um, you know, weekly discussions like this and we need um, um, people who are sort of going out to um, places and others who are sort of coming in and helping to form relationships that can then, then be sort of facilitated through through online forums and those sorts of things. So I'm nervous. I'm nervous about um, online becoming a sort of substitute for meeting in person, even if it's you know simply just two or three people on a Sunday morning. Um, but I also do you know do think that this gives us things that we just don't get with those small gatherings. Um, that's yeah 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 no that's right. I, you know in terms of the Eucharist. Um, issue, um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not the person to sort of comment on that or weigh in on that, and it's, it's not something I've spent a whole lot of time on. George. Uh, Michael, um, first the statement and then the question. Uh, one of the discussions that was quite vigorous and that came out of um, the Eucharist was the fact that for those without the technology, they were being excluded. And uh, when you were talking before about uh, disability theology and so forth, so often it's an issue of exclusion. And uh, one of the things that I've observed with the technological bent towards Zoom, whilst I've been very concerned about the exclusion of those without access, it's just, in my view, been so refreshing to see people that physically can't get to church, stroke victims come to mind, sitting there in the comfort of their own home in their own chair, participating in communion without the dislocation of having to try and go to a building somewhere because that's where a lot of people think church is. So from the theology point of view, um, I'd appreciate some comments on the diversity of delivery systems uh, with those comments in mind. Yeah, um, I'll start. So, so, you know, I mentioned that we were sort of living, well, you know, we're still 
we're still living away from family in New Zealand and for a long time we've been living a lot further away and that you know we just feel blessed that there has been Skype and Zoom and ways that have allowed us to sort of connect our children to grandparents and, and so on so um so you know i think these are great technologies that uh, are useful in all sorts of situations and in all sorts of ways you know on the other hand um um you know for someone who's stuck at home it shouldn't just be zoom access to a weekly church service there need to be pastoral visits um, um you know there needs to be well, you know, within the Anglican tradition, there'd be sort of delivery of the Eucharist. And, um, you know, if, if online Eucharist has some benefits, we need to be careful that there's not other things that are being sort of pushed out as a result. Um, so, yeah, you know, theologically, I, 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 you know, I really don't know how to think about this because it's not, um, there's not, not a lot in the Gospels about Zoom and how we should respond to it. Um, so, you know, um, um, the, you know, this is this is something that we should wrestle with. We should we should use it, but we should also shouldn't think that it's going to solve all our problems or become a substitute for um, you know physical relationship as well. Perhaps we'll start to see versions of the message that are based on in <coughs> Zoom and interactive technologies, and the language will come in there. Yeah, yeah, I'm being facetious. Something this morning, something this morning that came up throughout the Sopwish at nine when we had our discussion, and I'm seeing it here is that there were three or four people who were knitting, and I said, "Will you bring your knitting when you come back to church?" And I, it just struck me as we were sitting there that, I, except that I often have to play the organ. I would love to sometimes sit there and be able to do my cross stitch and just listen, you know, or knit and just listen. And is that? Is some of it going to be that we're going to look at the gathering in a slightly different way? Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. Um, yeah, yeah, and, you know, maybe some of those boundaries between between home and church get a little more blurred in ways that might be might be good and interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, for what it's worth, I'm all for knitting in church, but I'm not I'm not a great knitter, so. Um, so again, it's, it's probably something I shouldn't weigh in on. I, I do think there's going to be some very interesting conversations in the time to come about what it means to be at home and in church and that integration of life and work and family with the scriptures and what Jesus is saying to us in that space. Um, uh, there's a lot there for us to learn yet, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we might be running close to the time of wrapping up, unless somebody's got a, a final question they'd like to uh, pull, pull in. It's not a question, Jeff. Yep. Uh, but going back to my days of Parish on the Way, when we met in double-decker buses and we met in houses, I remember delivering the Eucharist, um, saying to one of the lecturers, who's passed now from college, um, why can't we do the Eucharist? And he kind of said, well, it takes order. 
And I just said, well, I'm a truck driver. My boss gives me orders and I drive and I deliver them. I said, can you not deliver us the orders? Being very facetious and that, but it happened. But also the other side of that was, we worked with uh, a group of Tongans. And for them, their family didn't think it was very respectful that we were in their lounge room having communion until they came and sat and saw that we actually did communion as, as a proper church. And well, as a proper service type of thing, not a proper church. We're, in, we're always a, an experimental church. We're never proper. Um, but I just think that, yes, it is difficult to do it by Zoom. But some of the older people I know from up here in Narrabri have never heard a service so clear until this last few months of being in, in lockdown and using electronic stuff. So there's a way up both ways. But I agree, uh, Michael, stuff works if you have a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's a relationship that comes first with God and with the people. Finished. I'm gone. <laughs> I'm done. Michael, I wonder whether there's something you'd like to uh, finish finish off for us uh, before we close today. No, other than just to say thank you again. And this is, you know, this is a wonderful group. I enjoyed participating a few weeks ago when Peter Walker um, was sharing, and I sort of hope to get back. Um, a little more often so just just you know just to encourage you and your network and your work together and and to thank you for allowing me to be part of it for um for an hour thanks michael and thanks ruth for uh, being part of it today and we've really enjoyed the conversation and across all the weeks that uh, we've been together but blessings for this week as you go your way and we look forward to catching up again with you all uh, in another cafe or one that's uh, coming up. So farewell and uh, God bless as you travel to your own homes and uh, pick up your family duties. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for joining Conversations in Christian Community today. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thanks for joining us for Salty Conversations. Bye for now.